message, amen? Boy, they do a fabulous job with it. Well, let's take our Bibles. Turn over the book of Joshua. 
Joshua chapter 1, last Sunday morning we began a message. I never did finish it, got about halfway through. just want to conclude that, finish it up. I, um, the Lord kind of gave me something for this morning, and so I went ahead and just thought I'd finish this. I kind of thought I would this morning finish this out, but that's eh, all right. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> We're going to read the um, first nine verses of that particular chapter, and then we'll go from there. <clears throat> now, after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. In the wilderness, in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do all, to, excuse me, to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> we want to thank you again for... Just the privilege that we have, Lord, to hold your word in our hand, to be able to read it at will, to have the opportunity, Father, to memorize it and meditate upon it. Lord, we are a blessed people. Father, I ask that tonight, once again, you would take the simple passage, and as we make application, may it, Father, truly be received by each and every one of us. May our hearts be stirred and encouraged and motivated to be better for you. Lord, we are grateful for the beginning of a new year, the start of a new era. Lord, we're asking, Lord, that you'd help us to be faithful with that, to, Father, truly make and take every opportunity possible or make the best of every opportunity. And Lord, again, we are just, Father, seeking your face, we know that we can do nothing without you. So, Lord, we humbly cry out to you, begging you to meet with us tonight. Thank you for being our Father, our God, our Lord, our Savior, being so good to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, Joshua, of course, we said, had spent a lifetime following Moses, serving Moses. He's thrust into the position of leadership now. Now it's going to be his responsibility to do what Moses could not do, and that is to enable the people of God to procure the promised land, to finally end up where they 
were supposed to be, where God intended them to be, where God had promised they would. For 40 years, they have wandered in the wilderness. 40 years, they had watched family and friends go by the wayside, pass away. Now they're on the precipice of entering into this promised land, a new era, a new beginning. We're going to note in the passage, as we said, that they're going to have to do a few things, though, along the way. They're going to have to stand. They're going to have to step. They're going to find that they need to strive if they're going to ultimately succeed. As a ministry, we recognize the fact that we're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to also have to stand, step, and strive if we're going to truly succeed as God intended us to. And the first time we got together, we spoke about those first couple of aspects. First, we said we had to stand, and we said in order to do so, we're going to have to shore up the foundation. We said if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We said we can't stand on shaky ground. Our faith must be unwavering and our resolve settled. A working knowledge of Christ and His ways must be embraced and preached and practiced. But also we said that foundation being sure, we're going to have to ensure that we sign up the congregation. Not only sure up the foundation, but sign up the congregation. Everyone needs to have their sights on Jesus. Everybody needs to ensure that they're rooted and grounded on, in the faith and that they're solid in Christ and that they're lifting up the Lord Jesus. And then we said also it's important that everybody takes their place because no one's insignificant or invisible. Everyone's needed. Everyone's necessary. Everyone's mission essential. And that's not always a feeling that comes across to folks can feel somewhat isolated, disconnected. But it is important as a believer, and may I say this with all kindness, that you understand that it is not the church's responsibility to plug you in. It's your job to get plugged in. I mean, I'm not trying to be nasty or mean, and I'm not trying to tell you that I don't have a responsibility as pastor to, to make you feel welcome to serve, but <clears throat> there is a part where you have to show initiative. You have to be willing to take that step and say, listen, I am willing to do anything. And that's the heart of a servant. That's what every believer ought to do. I mean, instead of waiting on the pastor or staff member or some leader of ministry to come and say, would you please help us? We could use you. We ought to be already saying, you know what? I'm sure there's plenty of need. I'm just going to get plugged in. And you might not be able to do as much as you used to be able to do, but there are some folks, and it's amazing to me, I was so encouraged by this, when we were having all of our big pushes for soul winning and outreach, and when we were, even long after that, there were folks that would come and, and just sit and pray. They couldn't get out, they couldn't knock on doors, they, they couldn't navigate through the streets, but boy, they could reach the throne of God. Man, I was like, praise the Lord. No one had to ask them necessarily, they just took it on themselves. Praise the Lord for that kind of involvement. It takes everyone signing up the congregation. Yes, yeah, sure up the foundation, but sign up the congregation. We need to stand. But then we said, verses 3 and 4, we need to step. You know, the fact is, is that ministry is not complete simply by 
taking a stand. A ministry has to continue to take steps to advance the cause of Christ. <clears throat> and taking steps, we said, requires a couple things. One, we must be convinced. We said we need to be convinced that God is leading and that it is His will for us to move forward. But not only must we be convinced, we need to be careful, we said. And again, the most difficult thing at times in our Christian lives because of the temptation to be diverted and distracted in the world in which we live is to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't afford to take our eyes off of our captain. That'll certainly land us in the clutches of Satan, the father of all lies. So we must step. But in order to do that, we're going to be, have to be convinced and we must be careful. And that brings us to our third point then, where we launch out into new territory. Verses 5 and 6, if you would, please read those with me. There, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Now we can stop right there because what I think we're seeing there is the fact that we're going to have to strive then. You say, why do you say that? Well, first of all, right off the bat, he says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. What he's saying is, is guess what? There will be those that will try. <clears throat> You're going to certainly run into some opposition. You can without a doubt expect others to stand between what God has for you And I'm going to tell you something. You can rest assured if it's a man or a ministry, there's always going to be those who try to stand between us and what God has for us. It's just all there is to it. To stand and step guarantees that we're going to run into opposition sooner or later. You can't take a stand for Christ and continue to step out by faith and avoid the battle. It's just impossible. You can't raise the banner high and continue to take steps of growth personally or as a ministry without facing the enemy. It's going to happen. Therefore, we have to be willing to strive. And to successfully strive, we must be faithful to battle. <clears throat> We've got to be faithful to battle. Again, the implication here is that there are those that will battle. There are those that will oppose us. And I'm not just talking about uh, just in the ministry. I'm talking about in our own personal lives, in our own personal growth. They're going to seek to derail your efforts and destroy your faith. That's a reality. All we have to do is look at our media. All we have to do is look at our education system. And they're constantly, continually trying to undermine God and His authority in our lives. Again, we can sit back and passively look at the situation and come to this conclusion that, well, there's just no reason to get all bent out of shape. You don't have to make such a big deal of all this stuff. But let me tell you something. There's a generation that is being raised without the knowledge of God. There's a generation that knows nothing about the reality of Christ. There's a generation that has not seen what old-fashioned Christianity ought to be. And may I say, we are headed in the wrong direction. And as long as we keep buying in, to what the social media tells us and what the media itself does and what Hollywood says and what the world's teaching, we are desperately headed in the wrong direction. We're going to have to strive. We better be faithful to battle. It's not enough to just have a position. We better be passionate about that position today. I'll guarantee you the other side's passionate about theirs. They don't just want to have an opinion. 
They want to ensure that everybody supports theirs. You don't have a right to disagree anymore. I'm sorry to say that... Well, I'm not sorry to say. Too bad. Because I'm going to believe what the Bible says. We need to be faithful to battle. We are admonished by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.3 to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us that we must be serious about this matter of warfare. You and I probably know the verse, or at least a portion of it, when it says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. A real, literal enemy. I was just telling my wife on the way here that I believe that one of the things that I'd like to put together for dying people, you say, wow, that was, whew, uh, when we're dying. I think it would be wonderful to have preaching on heaven, and preaching on the, the, the creator, God, how valid he is, how real He is. I, I think to listen to preaching, to listen to the services, to listen to the music, I think that's encouraging when you are on a deathbed or fearful of your life. I don't know, but it seems to me that the best place to be in that situation would be right in the house of God where your faith can be confirmed each time the preacher stands, every time the choir sings, every instance that you meet somebody and say, hey, he's real. I don't know, because I'll tell you this, I will tell you this though, there are a lot of factions out there trying to tell you that he's not real, (laughs) that what you're believing is a big lie and it's fake and it's not true, and his name is called the devil, (laughs) and he is a roaring lion, and he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. Why are we so surprised when we're met with opposition, conflict, and warfare in the Christian life? Why is it whenever tragedy comes and trials come and tribulation arises, why are we so surprised? It is amazing. I, even in my own life, I'm, what? Oh, you've got to be kidding. It's the worst time ever. This can't be happening. Why are we so surprised, though? John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And again, the Lord is quick to warn us that our visible faith will be rewarded with hatred. The fact is that throughout history, an unapologetic stand for Christ was met with a mountain of retaliation. And it still is. But thank God for that joy that we talked about this morning. So we need to be faithful in battle, faithful to battle, but also we need to be faithful to believe. Believe what? Well, Joshua 9, 6, he says, be strong and of good courage for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. As bloody and costly as battle can be, 
You know that these people of God were to find a great comfort and solace in the fact that they were promised the victory. They went into the battle knowing they're going to come out victorious. Oh yeah, there may be losses. There may be situations that are difficult and hard, but they would come out victorious. You know what? We have that promise too, don't we? I mean, the Bible tells us for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. His promises, the Bible says, are yea. He says he's not slack concerning his promise. The very God who promised to lead his people Israel to victory provides you and I with the same promise today. In Romans 8, 37, nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. We're going to have to strive. We look and consider what God has for us as individuals. We consider what God has for us as a ministry. It's, we're bound to take it on the chin. We are bound, as we said, to have a bullseye on our back. But we're going to have to strive. But if we will stand, if we will step, if we will strive, we will succeed. Verse 7 through 9, Only be thou strong and very courageous, for thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that the, in the law, all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Ultimately, uh, he goes on to say in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have what? Good success. Now, again, in this particular passage, we're introduced to a phrase, good success. Now, this is the only place in Scripture that we find the word, that, find that particular phrase. As a matter of fact, it's the only place that the word success is used in the entire Bible. That's kind of an interesting truth, too. So this is a very important passage. It's a, I mean, it's, it's very unique. It's very different. And in this particular case, he combines two words, not just success, but he says good success. Now, we know that the world defines success in a number of ways, don't we? I mean, we could pretty much say that most often they point to power, preeminence, promotion, prosperity, position, and pleasure. That's what they would call success. That's what the world would deem success. In our passage, we note a distinction being made, though. And here's what I believe the distinction is. The distinction is being made between success apart from God versus success as a result of God. Now, success is obtained without God. It is but not good success. See, the Bible talks about good success, distinguishing success apart from God from success as a result of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible says, And God called the dry land earth, and 
the gathering together of the waters called he sees and God saw that it was good. The phrase in God saw that it was good, that particular phrase will be restated another four times over the course of creation. Finally, however, at the end of his work, at the end of the creative act, God now states in Genesis 1.31, he says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the six days. Now, again, realize God saw that it was good. God is creating. God is, is doing this great work. And he sees it and says, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And finally, when he sees it all, he says, it's very good. So I guess what I'm saying is, based on that, there's something to be said about good success. You get what I'm saying? I mean, i got to believe when he puts that word good and success together, when you consider where the word good is being used right off the bat in Scripture, first mention, you got to wonder, there's a reason for it. I'll tell you what it is, because God's a part of that success. God's the one bringing forth that success. Not man. Not his mind, not his ingenuity, not his ability, but God himself brings about good success. Oh, man can have success, but he can't have good success on his own. He can only have good success if it's God doing it. So when God's the one bringing about the success, it'll always be good success. When a man himself is the force behind success, it's simply that, success. And the world has success, but not good success. As believers and as a ministry, we need to long for good success. That ought to be our desire. It is kind of sad how often we as Christians settle for just simply success. Well, I'm finally making a lot of money. I feel successful. I'm glad you're making a lot of money. Well, I finally got a nice car and a nice house, and I am successful. I've even got a house down at the beach and one here where I live in. I have finally arrived. I am successful. You are. That's good. Very good success. That, that's, that's good for you, but it's not good success. It's just success because it's apart from God normally. When that is our goal, when that is our primary desire and objective is to have what we would call success, then it is not of God because God is not making that your goal. You are. It's not God. Now, if God, as a result of your obedience, permits you to experience good success by having lots of this or lots of that and it's considered successful in the world's eyes, it can still be good success. But it needs to be, as we said already, a result of God, not apart from God. It's funny how many people, unfortunately, dismiss, and I was talking to the singles about this this morning, will dismiss the house of God and dismiss their relationship with the Lord in order to finish up their school or for a particular career or job, and then they'll succeed. Well, I didn't see Daniel doing that. I mean, Daniel, he ruled over two nations. 
He never had to compromise his faith. Never had to disregard God's word. He always kept God's word. And he still succeeded. He had good success. Too many times we are content to just experience success and not determined to experience good success. As believers and as a ministry, then, we need to long for that good success. And good success requires a few things. Let me give you a couple real quick and we're done. Number one, it's going to require courage. Good success requires courage. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, again, right there off the bat in the very beginning, it says, Only be thou strong and very courageous. He's been saying you need to be courageous. You need to be courageous. You've got to be of good courage. Now he says, very courageous. You know, it's not easy to obey God's word in a world that despises it. It's not easy to operate in God's will in a world that dismisses it. It's not easy to observe God's ways in a world that opposes them. It's not easy. And if we ever hope to obey God's word, operate in God's will, and observe God's ways, we're going to have to be strong and very courageous. That's all there is to it. We're going to have to have some courage. It's a scary place to take a stand for God at times. It's not always easy. I mean, sometimes we get up here and we preach and we act like everybody ought to just be glad to jump up and take a sword for Jesus. But that's scary. It's scary to stand up and and to pass out of track certain times. It's a little bit intimidating to walk across the, uh, you know, uh, across the gas station, hand somebody a track. It's not always easy to knock on a door or to witness to a family member or friend. It's not always, always delightful. It's kind of intimidating and it could be scary even. And it's not always pleasant when someone says, well, what do you think about that? And you know it's not politically correct. And you know you're going to be labeled. And you know that someone's going to say something about you and be critical about your position and probably about your very character. You better be very courageous. (laughs) Very courageous. So good success demands courage. Good success demands commitment. Verse 7 Again, the second part says, Only be thou very strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. He goes on to say that we're not to turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Turn not from it, to the right hand or to the left. So the picture that I have here is that we're to be going forward. We're to be following the word of God. Commitment is to stay on track. Commitment is to not veer off to the right or left. Commitment is not to, to, to be distracted and, and cause to go left or right. It's to continually stay on track and on path, on the road. We said that success can be found apart from God, but good success is a result of God. And you know, Joshua, he knew God's will for the nation, didn't he? He knew that. He was positive. He was very sure about God's plan. He made it very clear to Joshua. And the fact was is that none of that would mean anything if Joshua were not whole heartedly committed to it. 
and if the people of God were not wholeheartedly committed to that way. See, again, you can know God's plan. You can know God's will, but if you're not committed to it, it does you no good. So there's no purpose. I mean, if you're quick to take a left, you're quick to take a right, you're quick to go off track. Let me tell you, knowing the will means nothing. And in this particular case, Joshua and the people couldn't possibly consider turning from the truth of God's word or neglecting his law. To do, to do so, obviously, would mean disaster. They saw what happened the last time this happened. Forty years in the wilderness, wandering. And a pastor and a people and a ministry must be committed to God's word again. We've got to be committed to his will and his ways if we're ever going to hope to experience good success. Got to be committed. Hold on. Not just courage, not just commitment. But if we want to have good success, we have to have conviction. I'm going to explain to you why that's important. We don't talk much about conviction today. And the reason we don't talk about conviction is because conviction does not change. Well, we're not a people today that don't want to have to, we want to be able to change when it gets uncomfortable. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We, notice again, that law will not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. <coughs> Excuse me. And that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. There's a level of commitment here, uh, conviction here. Again, there's one thing, it's one thing to be committed, but lasting commitment will be the result of true conviction. See, you and I can be convinced that God is with us, we can be committed to Him, but if we hope to finish strong, if we hope to truly recognize and realize the very blessings of God that He desires for us, then we're going to have to have some strong convictions as well. There are going to be a number of ups and downs. There are going to be a number of potholes in the road along the way. There are sure to be some disappointments and delays as well as just difficulties and trials and tribulation. If you and I don't possess strength and courage, we're sure to depart. Still, the reality is longevity is a result of conviction and not simply commitment, though. Take a marriage, for instance. Partners can be committed to one another. But when the hard times come, that commitment can be tested. And unfortunately, that commitment can even be discarded in some cases. Commitment is absolutely necessary, but even more needed is conviction. Because conviction is what our commitment is settled on. I make a commitment, but it's really because I already have a conviction. See, God establishes biblical principle or Bible principles. In Matthew 19, 6, he says, What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. The principle, when two people are joined together in the presence of God, then they are one, therefore they're not to be divided. We are convinced 
that divorce is not an option because there's a Bible principle that states it. So we develop what we call a conviction based on a Bible principle. There it is in the Word of God, a Bible truth, I should say. There it is. It's in principle. It's in truth. And I say, you know what? I've read it. I see it for myself. I'm convinced. I am convicted that God would not have me separate and divide what He's put together. So we say it's settled. We say divorce is not an option. Why? Because convictions are rooted in biblical truth. We understand according to John chapter 1 then that the Word of God, that the Word was God. So the Word is Jesus Christ ultimately we realize because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us it says. So in Hebrews we're told about Jesus, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. So even as Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, so the Word of God is unchanging. Therefore, that means that any conviction that is based on a biblical truth is unchanging as well. Because the Bible never changes. Someone says, I'm convicted. You better be careful because if you truly believe it's a conviction, then you have to believe there's a Bible principle or a Bible truth that it's grounded or based upon. And then if that's the case, that never changes. No matter what happens in our culture, no matter how many people decide it's no longer in vogue, the fact is it's a Bible truth and we're grounded. We're founded. We're strong upon it. Why? Because it's of God. That's called conviction in your life. And then you come up with a principle, then you come up with a, 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 you know, their conviction. Then all of a sudden you say, you know what? I've got that conviction. I'm committed to this. And you can say that with confidence. Why? Because you know that nothing's going to change your position on this. Listen, I, I'm glad. I, I'm going I'm to tell you the honest truth. When, when I married my wife, I, I, didn't, you know, I told people this. Way back then, it wouldn't matter if my wife didn't love me, I'd still marry and I know we'd still be together because my wife believed in a biblical truth. If she said I do, she would. And so I knew I didn't, that I'm good to go. See, I, I didn't want just her commitment, I wanted a conviction. If she'd have said to me that I believe there are circumstances, there are situations where divorce is okay, I'd have probably said, I'm sorry, I can't, because I would always feel insecure. I'm that way. I'm a guy. I'm insecure. I wanted to know that she believed with all her heart that the Bible teaches a biblical truth. And she had a conviction about it. And I had that same conviction about it. And listen, I, I'm not here to put down anybody. I'm not here to make you feel small or little. But I'm going to tell you what, I don't think there's one of us in the room that doesn't want these young men and young ladies to have this biblical conviction. Amen. And I'll tell you what, when you have that conviction and you enter into a marriage, it's a little bit different than when you don't. I am so sad to watch young people enter into marriages today and they flippantly marinder into them. They act like it's no big deal because honestly, they have no real conviction. They say, if it doesn't turn out, it doesn't work out, whatever, we'll just go ahead and keep going in life. I'm going to tell you something. You ought to have a biblical conviction about these issues. And there are other issues in the Bible you better have some convictions about. It's so easy. On a whim, we change our commitment. I've got a friend. I'm committed to you, friend. As soon as a friend stabbed you in the back one time, you're out of the book. You're nothing to me. As Mr. Wonderful would say, you're dead to me. 
None of you watch Shark Tank? But anyway, and you know what? That's sad, isn't it? Your commitment's about as long as your endurance. That's pretty sad, isn't it? You can't build relationships on that kind of commitment. And all I'm saying is, is that in our, in our uh, ministry today, if you're going to experience good success in your marriages and in your family and in your homes and in your, your personal walk with God, you better have some courage. You're going to need commitment. But that commitment better be grounded. It better be set upon firm conviction in your life. I wonder, are you completely, unequivocally convinced that what you hold in your hand is indeed the very word of God? And that it holds the key to good success for you and yours? You know, you know what I believe? I believe we're committed to the Bible until it gets uncomfortable. I don't think we have any real conviction today. I don't think we're convinced that this indeed is the means by which we can experience good success in our personal life and in our marriages and in our homes and our families because I watch people disregard this all the time and then they wonder why their life is going awry and array and they'll sit there and they'll cry and sing the blues and they'll blame God for everything that's going on in their life when all along they've disregarded God's word. Have no conviction about it. Amen. We got this level of commitment, preacher. We're committed, preacher. Don't you say the wrong thing or we'll leave. Oh, we're committed to the church. We're committed to the ministry. We're committed to Jesus Christ until it gets uncomfortable. Because there's no real conviction. That's why there's a problem today. There's no real conviction. Let me tell you something. If you believe that God says every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl ought to have a local church in which they belong to, in which they are involved in, in which they are plugged into... You don't just get up and walk out of churches just because you're uncomfortable, because somebody said something you didn't like, or because your friend stabbed you in the back. God places you somewhere, and you say, hey, I know God put me here, and I'm not leaving. Commitment. Commitment's only as strong as the conviction it's built on. And there isn't a lot of conviction today. And you know what? That's a sad reality of Christianity and fundamentalism today. It's changing, but change, this ain't supposed to change, and it doesn't change. Let me just, I'm going to say this, I don't care what you think about it. If 20 years ago you thought it was wrong to drink alcohol, I'm going to tell you something that's still wrong. I don't care if it's Christmas, you call it wine. It's still wrong. I'm about sick and tired of hearing about Christians that are going back to drinking. Well, it's just social. It's just one drink. Yeah, okay, no conviction, none. You had a commitment years ago, you had no conviction, and now look, you're no longer where you used to be. You know what hurts these young people more than anything? Is to watch saints like you and I, they're a little bit older, talking about, you got to have your standards. you got to have the Word of God. You need to use a King James Bible. You need to live for Jesus Christ. You need to be a soul winner. And then they turn around 10 years later, and we're not soul winning. Well, it's not that important, and things have changed, and standards, they're just not in vogue anymore. And honestly, the King James Bible, there's other versions of it that I guess they are just about as good. And, and they go, so I guess this wasn't real all along. It was never real. You know why? Because we didn't have any convictions. Whatever happened to saying, you know what? I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. I'm going to die by it. Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to it? Well, some other information came along. No, it probably got a little uncomfortable. 
Because some of your family started to turn in their position, and pretty soon some of your friends decided that wasn't the case. And I guess, well, I guess it's not worth, you know, taking a sword up for. I'm not going to, you know, no conviction. I'm sorry. I, I, I just, uh, if, if I could say this, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to say it, I'm the pastor. But, I, you know, I attribute, and I'm just going to say this, and I'm really funny about saying these things. But so far, praise God, my four kids are still in church. And you know want to know why I think they're still in church when so many other kids aren't? One of the reasons is there were convictions, not just commitments that would come and go. There were some things they knew I was serious about. We weren't going to give in on them no matter what. They have to see the consistency in our life. They got to know that this is real to us. It's not just something we do in order to get somebody to like us or to fit in or to just keep people off our back. Now, we do this because it means something to us. You better be real. But if you have no convictions, you'll give in on those beliefs that you have when it gets a little tough, when the storms come. It's called Sunday night preaching. And last, and I'm going to close this real quickly, we need confidence. And I'll tell you what, this is what makes it all worthwhile. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. We need to be confident. If we're going to experience good success, you better be confident that God is with you. And I know when you get saved, he indwells you. I realize that. But you better know God's with you. Now, again, don't, don't be naive to this reality that, and don't be so ignorant to believe that God is obligated to go with you wherever and, what, and whenever you choose. He's not. You remember there, Joshua, prior to, you know, later on in the book of Joshua, he's there looking over the land and he sees uh, this, this great city. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up the captain of the Lord's hosts. And basically Joshua says, hey, whose side you on? It's basically what Joshua says to the, to the captain of the Lord's hosts. Whose side you on? He saw him. He had a sword in his hand. Whose side are you on? That's the wrong question. Because the Lord basically says, listen, I'm not on anybody's side. You got to get on my side. You want to know the truth? We got to get on his side. And when we're on his side and we're performing the things that he would have us do, then you can be rest assured that God is with you and you're with God. I'm not just talking about in theory and I'm not just talking about indwelt. I'm talking about practically speaking, you can go forward and know that God is with you. But when you're not aligning yourself up with scripture, when you are not finding pleasure in the word of God, when you don't enjoy reaching out to God in prayer, when you find it so difficult to perform the duties of a believer, my friend, we're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. The church was just getting started. Just started. Not long into it. Just a few months in, maybe even a few more months than that, three to four months probably. And again, I've told the story before, but the head of the senior center comes up and I'd asked if we could use the upstairs and if we could, you know, utilize more of the building. And she came to me and said, well, you're never going to turn this building into a church. 
And I, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You know, we've done everything you've asked to do. We've bent over backwards to be compliant. We've tried to appease you and this, the board, so-called board. And, and here you are now. You're telling me you're never going to turn this in. I said, listen, our goal is not to turn it into a church. That's not it at all. This is a place we meet. I'm just telling you right now, get it out of your head. You're never going to turn this building into a church. I mean, she said it about like that, too. It was obvious she didn't want us around for that. And I just simply said, I just want you to know right now. Used her name. I said, you cannot stand between God and what he wants from me in this ministry. And she looked at me and said, you threatening me? And I said, no, I'm just warning you. I want you to know within two weeks she was out, sick, in the hospital. For two weeks she didn't come back. She came back and she was a little bit more compliant, just a little. She went and approached the board. She said, asked if we could use it for, you know, under, you know, very, you know, stringent, you know, whatever. I just... Fine, that's fine. But we continued to grow. We needed more of the room. We, we needed it not just on Sunday morning. We needed Sunday nights. and We needed a Wednesday night finally after even a few years. But long before that even. But we wanted it Sunday night. We wanted the upstairs now. And, and, and we, we needed not just the down but the up. And we needed it Sunday morning and Sunday night. And she came to me again and she said, I'm just telling you right now, you will not turn this building into a church. She hit me with that one again. And I said, I told you once, I, I think that's a dangerous position. I said, you, you're not going to stand between God and what he wants for me in the ministry here. She said, I don't care. You're not turning this into a, a, a church. I'm not joking. It seemed like just that quick. She was gone for good. She never came back. I guess her health went downhill, they said, and she just wasn't able to continue to work anymore. We got a new lady came in, a young girl. Wonderful young lady. First words out of her mouth, Pastor, I need to have a meeting with you. I said, sure, that's great. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. I meet with her. First thing she does, have a seat. I sit down. She says, I just want you to know how much we appreciate you in the ministry here. If it wasn't for you guys, we'd have a real hard time meeting our bills. And I went, yes. <laughs> We never had another problem. We never had another problem. They worked with us. Matter of fact, before it was over with, the very director's office was being used for a fourth or sixth grade girls class. We had to move the, her desk aside and everything out of the way, and we set chairs up, and then we'd put it all back at the end of the night. Every room in the building. We were even using rooms we weren't supposed to use. All because... The Lord was with us. We got to know. You got to be confident the Lord's with you. And when He is, it works out. One way or another, it'll work out. So, as individuals, as a ministry, we need to stand. We need to step. We need to strive. Why? We want to succeed. We want to honor Christ with good success. It's His success in the ministry, it's brought about by Him and through Him. 
Not our own efforts. It doesn't work that way. So our foundation must be firm. Our focus must be clear. And we must possess strong convictions and be committed to obeying God's word and observing God's ways because the avenue to good success is found only by way of the word of God. We're going to close, but what we're going to do and what I've come up with as we move into the building, the first Sunday that we move into the building, of course, we'll have a preaching service like normal starting at 1 o'clock at the end of that service till 5 o'clock. We're going to read the Word of God in the pulpit starting in Genesis. We're going to take a break for our service on Sunday night Then we're going to pick it back up, and for the next 72 hours, reading of the Word of God will go forth out of the pulpit at the new building. We're going to read it out loud. I'm going to invite men to sign up that are members of our church, and we're going to read this Bible 24 hours a day until it's completed. It takes about 72 hours to read this book through. I figure it'll take us about 96 But we're going to read it through because I'm going to be honest with you. I want the ministry of Community Baptist Temple over in our new building to begin and end with this book. We don't implement this book, the Word of God. It'll just be simply success. I don't know about you, but I'm not content with success. I want good success. And I believe it all begins and ends with this book right here. So that's what we're going to do. I don't know. Are you ready for that? Are you standing? Are you stepping? Are you striving? And God help us. Father, we come to you.